Hi, you are listening to The Arts Report on CITR 101.9 FM. We're broadcasting from UBC's campus on the unceded and traditional Musqueam territory in Vancouver. I am your host, Sara Unju, and we have a great show for you today. We're going to start off with an interview that our new correspondent Nico did, and then right after the interview, we're going to go into a little quick Adam PSA break, and then after the break, we will be back with a review of mine and a review of Silvana. And then after those, we have a bunch of shout outs, and by a bunch, I mean three. Anyways, <laughs> yeah, so enjoy the interview. Thank you, Sarah. Hi, my name is Nico Martin Machino. Today, I have the pleasure in interviewing the executive director of the Crazy Eights, Paul Armstrong. Crazy Eights is an eight-day filmmaking challenge that provides funding and support to emerging filmmakers to help them produce a short film. Crazy Eights is run by the Crazy Eights Film Society, a not-for-profit society. It was created to foster support for emerging filmmakers who have little or no access to funding for short films. Paul Armstrong is an award-winning film TV, and theater producer with over 60 producing credits. Feature film credits include the documentary Cool Daddy with the CBC documentary channel directed by Roger Larry, Lawrence and Hollow Man based on the play by Morris Panich, Moving Malcolm by Benjamin Ratner starring Elizabeth Berkeley, and Ill-Fated by Mark A. Lewis which premiered at the Toronto International Film Festival. He also produced the nine short documentaries in China through Looking China. He has been an executive director with the short film program Crazy Eights for eight years, where he has executive produced 42 short films. Paul is also the founder, programmer, and producer of the Celluloid Social Club, a monthly screening of short films running since 1997. Paul has also produced a TV episode for Red Bull, produced TV commercials for Wireless Wave, T-Booth, web videos for Nintendo, Electronic Arts in Molson, Canada, and live talk show date, daytime on Rogers. He has also produced music videos for Biff Naked, Jim Byers, and Jeff Martin of the Tea Party, and produced 20 plays. Thank you for joining us, Paul. How are you doing today? Yeah, I'm all right. Yeah, another day in the... Another day in pandemic isolation. Yeah, right. Getting a lot of work done at home. Yes, it's it's busy busy season for you. So, uh, how did you get intru- introduced to Crazy Eights, and how did you st- start to get involved? Actually, I've been involved with Crazy Eights for a long time. First, as a community partner, because I also run the Celluloid Social Club, which is a screening of short films that cool. used to happen every month, but are on hold right now for obvious reasons. So uh, for a long time, I was a community partner helping to promote um, the Crazy Eights films and screening them at my screening. Uh, so I've, I've known about Crazy Eights for a long time. And then an application came up for, I mean, the executive director. So I applied for that and ended up getting the job. And that was in 2013. So this is actually my eighth year with Crazy Eights as the executive director and now co-executive director with Eric Masolem as well. There's another executive director. Um, but this is actually the 22nd year of Crazy Eights. It's been around since 1999. Yeah, crazy. been a long time. And I'm, as I, I've seen on the website, there's a lot of people that have had uh, great success stories, you know, have leapfrogged into the industry in, in the United States as well. Some of them even working for Disney and big filmmaking companies like, like that. Um, now, could you tell us a little bit more about your executive director role, please? Yeah, so as executive director, I'm responsible for raising the funds through sponsorship to pay for the, the program and then also to help run the program. Uh, and then from there, then to uh, get the films out there into the world. So I also oversee the distribution of them. And then uh, also responsible for upkeep of the society. Because Crazy Eights is a nonprofit BC society, so there's the running of that as well that I'm responsible for. So it's the fundraising, the running of the program, and the upkeep of the society itself, and 
and getting the films out there into the world. That's wow. what uh, my main duties are. Okay, so in, a, in some sense, you're a middleman from the filmmakers and, and the rest of the world, eh? Yeah, like, they make the films, although we're executive producers on them, so we help them make them, and then we help them get them out there into the world. Although they're responsible for submitting to film festivals. Uh, they do that directly themselves. But we help a little bit with distribution, getting them out there uh, on TV as much as we can or with distributors. So actually one of the films will be screening on CBC um, in late November. It's called Unkept. It screened at the Vancouver Film Festival last year. So, uh, yeah, films have a secondary life after the Crazy Eights gala screening when they play festivals and television and, uh, and other places. That's terrific. I'm sure the filmmakers appreciate that. And is that film that you just mentioned also, was that in the Crazy Eights from last year or is that this year's Crazy Eights? Yeah, that was in from last year. Okay. Was, uh, yeah, that was last year's. Uh, yeah, because we always have to wait a year for the films to play festivals before they can go on TV or other places like that So or online. So, yeah, they're uh, all from that are uh, on TV from last year so far. Although we did sell two of the films this year at uh, 2024 uh, CBC Reflection. So they'll be on TV in a year from now. Wow, great. And which films were those, just for our viewers? That was Itsy Bitsy Spider and uh, and uh, Saul, it's called. Saul, yeah. okay. Yeah. Um, could you also summarize the process of applying for Crazy Eights from the initial application to the long list, the short list, and finally the finalists? Yeah, so the way it works with Crazy Eights is that people start with a video pitch, just a three-minute video pitch where they talk a bit about themselves, uh, about the story, beginning, middle, and end of their film, and why they want to make this film, and then maybe uh, talking about any um, practical difficulties you might have to overcome to make the film. And then from there, the video pitches get narrowed down to 40. Those people pitch in person, although this year, for obvious reasons, it'll be uh, by Zoom probably, the, uh, the quote, in-person pitches. That'll be to another panel of judges, and then that panel of judges narrows it down to the top 12. And then those 12 have to write their script. They get story editing assistance with their scripts. Uh, and then the same judges then narrow those... 12 down to the final six and then those six have a month or so for pre-production and then they have three days to film and five days for post and then after that the films will screen usually they screen at a huge gala it's actually vancouver's biggest in-person um, screening event we get over 1700 people wow they screen at the center for the performing arts after party at science world but this year of course because of the pandemic It'll most likely be an online showcase unless there's a miracle and a vaccine comes in in the spring and we'll be able to, if we have enough sponsorship, go back to our uh, in-person gala. But this year, more and more, it's looking like it'll be an online gala like so many other film events this year. Uh, but we're still expecting a big audience because there's a huge demand for Crazy Apes being one of the leading film events of the year. So, yeah, so that's how it starts. And people go to crazyapes.film to start. We uh, submissions are through Film Freeway, so they just go to our website, look at the rules and regulations, they go to Film Freeway, sign up, and then when you're ready, submit your uh, your video pitch. And we're going to actually be doing a video pitch workshop, uh, well, a pitching workshop in general, but talking specifically also about how to do a video pitch on October 18th at 2 o'clock. Uh, so these Go to our website or Facebook page and find out more info on how to attend that to get tips on how to pitch successfully, or hopefully successfully. Okay, and also submissions, are are they able to send it in till the 28th of October, am I correct? Yeah, till 11.59pm on October 28th is the deadline to sign up and submit your video pitch, yeah. Okay, and um, I think there's also the famous $800 that goes attached to that pitch, no? Yeah, so uh, it's actually $1,000 now, but $800 oh, okay. up front and then another 200 But in addition to the cash, you also get, uh, you get all sorts of services and equipment in kind from our sponsors. We have uh, about 100 sponsors. It's all the leading film organizations and companies in Vancouver. 
that are involved in Crazy Eight. So they supply everything from cameras to uh, sound mixes to color timing sessions to equipment, electric gear uh, to insurance. Um, so almost everything you need to make your film. And then this year also we're going to be filming, of course, under COVID uh, safety protocols. So you'll be getting some personal protective equipment and other things to make sure the sets are safe as they can be. Um, so there'll be a special part of our workshop on, on that, how to shoot safely in this pandemic. Uh, but yeah, we provide almost everything they can get, including $1,000 plus all these other services and equipment in kind to make the film. Okay. And on the topic of uh, the pandemic, I'm intrigued to know about how your Crazy 8 staff has dealt with these applications and even the pl the planning of this future event. How have you guys handled the situation? Because of the pandemic, we've had to come up with different scenarios. So we've had to come up with four different scenarios, depending how things go with the pandemic. And then, um, and then we just move to the next scenario if things by a certain date haven't transpired. So uh, we're optimistic that we could maybe do the gala, maybe that there would be a vaccine by the spring, but more and more we're going to the other option of an online. But then we can always move back to the in-person if we raise enough money and uh, there's a vaccine. So we just have to, we have to balance those things, our funding, uh, the state of the pandemic, and uh, at what time on our timeline we are. So basically we can do almost everything online until the filming and the uh, and then even the screening we do online. So yeah, so it's basically just having different options and then having drop dead dates when we have to move to the next option. And uh, and we're doing everything online now. All our meetings are by Zoom. Um, we haven't seen many of our staff for months and months because we're just meeting virtually. And then when we start doing the workshops with the filmmakers, a lot of those will now have to be virtual as well, of course. But uh, they'll still get a lot of the same. Uh, information uh, imparted with them and the same training it'll just be online which people are getting more and more used to now and also regarding the pandemic and um, the the actual day of, of filming will the crews on set be decreased by number yeah so what we're trying to do is decrease the numbers for the crews because in the past crazy it's crews have grown like maybe the 50 60 70 people so we're trying to encourage 50 or less if possible um, and uh, for people to be socially distant and and of course wear masks and there'll be hand sanitizer and and all the protocols there's a, a multi-page document put out by the uh, local film industry here on how to film safely under these conditions we'll be following those guidelines we'll have a a uh, covid safety officer on each set that'll be monitoring making sure that people are complying with these uh protocols um so yeah so there'll be some changes but we're still going to make six great films despite uh, these other challenges because that's something people who do crazy it's are used to they're used to all these uh challenges and restrictions starting with the uh, only eight days to make their film for a thousand dollars so it's just one more <laughs> one more challenge that i'm sure they'll all rise to and in the process keep them safe now, talking about the identity of Crazy Eights, the, the essence revolves around a lot on giving the opportunity of giving filmmakers, emerging filmmakers, an opportunity to break into the industry. Now, how important is, is it for the organization to give that opportunity to those emerging filmmakers rather than giving an opportunity to established filmmakers who already have debuted in the industry or are in the DGC? Uh, well, Crazy Eights is one of the main stepping stones for people starting out in the industry to get into the industry. Um, but that said, each year there's always at least one or two, maybe a little bit more experience. So we have a range of newcomers, brand new filmmakers, just some that maybe have done one or two films, and then also a few more that are more seasoned. So we have a spectrum of experience levels, but most of the people that are just starting out in the industry, just applying. So we have um, we have training for them. We have mentors that we set them up with uh, that help them get uh, get trained, and then we help get their films out into the world with our showcase. Their films get seen by almost the whole Vancouver, BC film community, and lots of sponsors watch their films, and so 
it gets them on their radar, even at the pitching stage, because a lot of the judges are from the film industry. So even at the pitching stage, these filmmakers are getting uh, getting seen. And one time, one judge actually optioned someone's story that they pitched because they enjoyed their pitch so much. So right from the beginning, from pitching, uh, filmmakers get uh, get out there into the community. But then, of course, if you're in the top six and make your film, then uh, then there's all sorts of prestige because it's such a competitive process that those top six directors often go on to get hired for other other things. Some of our our filmmakers are now directing for episodic TV, like Shannon Coley, who did A Family of Ghosts uh, four or five years ago. She's now uh, directing episodic uh, TV series for NBC and other big studios, and that was a direct result of them seeing her crazy film and what she could do. So, uh, and Zach Lepofsky, he was just starting out in the industry when he did his Crazy Eats film. That helped him get him onto the On the Lot Spielberg series. And then, as you said in the introduction, he, he then later was uh, directing for Disney, show running a, a show up here. So uh, we have, yeah, we can draw direct lines from filmmakers making the Crazy Eats films, sometimes even as their even first film, and then from there getting launched into the industry. And there has there has there been occasions where there have been people part of the DGC involved in Crazy Eights as a finalist? Uh, yes, we uh, the DGC is our presenting sponsor. They also created us in 1999, and so uh, a lot of DGC members also do apply because a lot of DGC members aren't only directors. They can be other things, first assistant directors, but even. Uh, directors who are members of the DGC are eligible to apply because some of them maybe have only done um, projects that they didn't initiate. They maybe, maybe have done MOWs, and that's the case with one of our finalists from last year, Ali Liebert, who did a film called The Quieting. She directed uh, an MOW, but hadn't directed her own film that she wrote. So she's a DGC member, and so she, uh, she um, was successful in her application and made her film The Quieting. So... Yeah, so just because you're a member of the DGC, DGC and have some experience uh, doesn't discount you um, because uh, you might not have done your own film or you might want to do another one. And we do want to have at least one person each year that has had some experience and are using Crazy Eights as a way to then uh, start making their own films. Okay. And now we talk about the budget of Crazy Eight films and you corrected me from the 800 to now 1,000. I, I wonder, what is the actual budget for Crazy Eights? Because it, it seems almost unfathomable to create a film to the per, to the degree that Crazy Eights does with only $1,000. Yeah, the, the budget's $1,000 because the teams get so much in-kind sponsorship. So because of the prestige of Crazy Eights, um, what happens is we have categories for... Um, the teams to be able to go out to sponsors in the community and get them on board as sponsors, so like food sponsors. So a lot of the teams find restaurants that are willing to give them food, and then that way they don't have to pay for food. Um, so we have lots of sponsor sponsorship opportunities for almost everything that you might need for filming that then can offset your uh, your budget. So that's how we keep the budget low by offering all these sponsorship uh, opportunities for almost anything that the teams might need. But of course, there are some hard costs that can't be avoided, so that's where the $1,000 comes in. But sometimes Crazy 8 steps in, like we'll be paying for the PPE, personal protective equipment on set, so teams won't have to use their $1,000 for that. They'll just be using it for directly making the film. So um, things like that, sometimes Crazy 8 steps in and helps out. There's a supplemental cost like there will be this year with the PPE. That's yeah, that's great. It's it seems like it's quite the the holistic effort to make this happen, which is awesome. And and from the little bit that I know about the film industry, it is quite a community based industry. So I think Crazy Eights is a perfect uh, perfect example of of what the film industry does as as a community and as a collective. Now, just to to finish off, what can we expect for this up and coming Crazy Eights festival? Well, in terms of the content this year for the films, I think uh, we'll definitely be getting some pandemic stories. Um, one of our films last year, Soul, was very, uh, very um, prescient in, in its story because it was about a, a mother and daughter who were forced to stay indoors because of pollution outside. They couldn't go outdoors unless they were wearing protective equipment. So one of our stories almost was, imagine what's happening now. Uh, but uh, we have a wide variety of uh, different genres, so we 
pick some some comedy, some drama, some genre. So again, we'll be looking for uh, a wide variety of different stories. Um, and we usually pick, if there's a common theme each year, we get a common theme and we might only pick one or two from that, that, uh, that year. But of course, if everyone pitches a pandemic story, then, then we'll have to have a lot of pandemic stories. But anyway, we want to encourage people to tell whatever story they want to tell. So don't sort of tailor your, your story use it for personal expression and tell the story that you really want to tell and that'll make the quality of it shine through. So don't try to second guess what we're looking for. We want to know what you want to tell. Um, so yeah, we never know until we start watching the video pitches, what, uh, what the themes are this year, but this year I think it'll be pretty obvious what, what a common denominator theme will be running through the films. But, um, that of course remains to be seen. Maybe people want to escape from the pandemic and tell other stories or, tell them in a, in a, uh, in a uh, non-literal way, sort of in a mythological way, but we'll have to see what comes out of the stories this year. Um, yeah, so we never know. That's one of the interesting things about Crazy Eights. We just never know. Yes, I uh, definitely hope someone at least becomes a finalist for, for a comedy or something like that. It'd be nice yeah, to, to change, change it. one comedy each year. Yeah. I, yeah. If any, if yeah. any, any, any more time to be appropriate to throw in a comedy, I think it would be this yeah. year, you know? Hopefully so people have it in them to, uh, to tell, uh, tell such a story. <laughs> it's yeah. hard to find any comedy, anything comedic these days, but we'll have to, someone will come up with something, I'm sure. Yeah, sadly. So for any of the viewers that are, that are listening right now, if you have a comedic story that uh, you think could, has a potential for, being a finalist for the Crazy Eights, submit it. It uh, the due date is October twenty eighth, was it, Paul? Yeah, October twenty eighth, and go to crazyeights.film to uh, find out more and to start your application process. Okay, perfect. Well, thank you so much again, Paul, and I wish you the best of luck. All right, appreciate it. Thank you so much. All right, take care, Paul. All right, thank you. Bye. Bye. That was Paul Armstrong of Crazy Eights who is the executive director for the past eight years. This was Nicolás Martín Mechino. Thank you for listening. CITR 101.9 CITR 101.9 FM 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 CITR Voices of UBC Thousands of opinions are at our fingertips But are all opinions informed? Does your information have a source? Is your social feed based on fact? Only facts can uncover the truth Professional journalists are committed to balanced and non-partisan reporting to independent commentary. They cut through the spin to give you the information and perspective you need. Journalism is essential to democracy, a watchdog over the powerful, an independent voice. Journalism is more important than ever. Hello, folks. I am back. I don't know why I just had an accent there, but... (laughs) Okay, so... I hope you enjoyed that interview and now it is time for my review of the Doll's House project that was put on by Studio 58. So what is the Doll's House project? I'm just gonna read the little um, info that Studio 58 has on their website because I feel like that would be much better at explaining than me trying to put my words together. So here you go. A classic play written by a privileged white man about a woman's self-emancipation from oppression as told by a troupe of young actors in the midst of a global pandemic and massive social upheaval. Upheaval? How? Mm. Wow, okay. (laughs) (laughs) Safely apart but together. The members of the diverse ensemble take turns stepping into multiple roles and each contributes to the unfolding of Nora's journey as she breaks free from a restrictive marriage. This stripped down staging focuses on voices, bodies in motion, and live music and asks the question, 
how did we get here? And you know what? There are many points in that that I want to touch touch on. Wow, I cannot speak today. You know what? That's fine. But um, before I start, I want to say that it is free to watch The Doll's House Project. It is online. You just go to langera.ca forward slash studio 58 and then they have live streaming on October 10 at 8 p.m. Um, that w- the live stream is done, of course, but they have a button that says watch here. It is available until the 17th. So you have three more days. Go watch it. It was amazing. I loved it so much. When it ended, I literally thought to myself, whoa, but <laughs> okay, okay. So how the they were apart is let's start with that so like basically how they were standing physically so there was the the middle of the stage there was this circle and then it was within a big um, rectangle and so they never crossed that circle i'm guessing that the diameter was two meters so that they were you know having that social distance and they were able to move within that rectangle but again the rectangle was pretty big and um outside of this like rectangle in the middle the uh, actors had their own little squares that they were sitting in basically and um they came in so the play started with two actors you know two characters they were having a conversation the light was on them everything else was black and then they started singing and the rest came out like the rest of the actors came out they came in um drew their little squares with a chalk and then started playing their own instruments it was really cool it was very cool (laughs) and so in the sides when they were basically when they weren't acting they were sitting on the side you were able to see them sitting and they were wearing wearing masks but in the middle when they were acting they weren't wearing masks but they were at least two meters apart so you know no and like nothing anti-covid <laughs> basically it started out pretty strong i want to say started with a conflict between nora and thorbolt thorwald i I hope that's how god you know what at this point I'm just not gonna (laughs) I try my best and some words I just can't pronounce okay so these two have been married for eight years and Nora is basically like the scene that it begins with is Nora telling Torvald that she is leaving him she is done she is leaving and yeah anyways so they start with the scene and then the girl who was playing nora in that scene she was like okay and everyone was like okay and then everyone came out and they started playing instruments someone was playing electric guitar like violin there was what else there was oh my god there were so many instruments i can't even remember i i'm sure there was a saxophone like it was really interesting and then they started singing also because this was pre-recorded there were basically close-up shots and it was so cool because it felt like i was watching like a i don't know a really cool music video at that that point like i don't know it was really cool and yeah i just really enjoyed the fact that they incorporated music into this play although i wish there was more music because they only sang like with the instruments that they were playing in the beginning and in the end and then during the play there were like two times when they had like i that that probably wasn't the rhythm they were doing but like you know they were clapping basically and then um that was kind of like a musical element but it wasn't really music like in the beginning because in the beginning they were both singing and playing instruments so i wish there was more of it during the rest of the play but you know what it's okay it was still pretty amazing and i really wish i was able to see it in person because i just think it would have been so interesting to see just like 
still, uh, even though I had everything in front of me, like I, could, I was able to see everyone and that the close-ups were amazing. It, it gave you more detail. It felt more personal. But still, seeing it in person really does make you feel different. And so I, I just wish I was there in person and like looking at everyone else separately and like you know just dissecting what the actors are feeling i don't know does anyone else do that am i the only one like there's a conversation going on in the middle and i just look at the people on the sides on the stage and like look at their reactions and what they're doing <laughs> anyways the lighting was really cool the lighting was very well done honestly kudos to who did the lighting because as I said, there were basically two different sections, the middle and the sides. The side was like, so imagine a rectangle, right? The front of the rectangle is empty and then the three sides, there are people. And those people are in little squares. So the lights were basically, there were separate lights for the, the different little squares and there were different lights for the, mm, the rectangle in the middle. And the, the the circle within the rectangle wasn't lit up. So like just a bunch of lights and a little different. Also, I should mention, I should have mentioned this in the beginning. This is an ensemble piece, which means that all of the characters play equally. All of the play characters play, you know, the same characters. Uh, all of the actors play the same characters. There's no like lead actor or side actor characters or stuff like that you know like Nora this um main character was played by everyone male and female and Thorwald again was played by everyone male and female and this was really cool to see how these different actors portrayed the same um character and also I should say the fact that these different actors played the same characters really made it easy to know that the stuff that was happening was in different times so like it wasn't you know the same moment so for example Nora and Thorwald are fighting and then the actors switch and it's still the same fight no that wasn't the case it's like this fight is done by these two characters and then another action like another moment in time is done by different characters actors sorry so I thought that was really cool and the actors they weren't wearing like any um, traditional costumes they were just wearing jeans and a white t-shirt they didn't change it throughout the whole thing by the way there are no breaks so this is like a one act thing like a one act play and uh, also there were no props either so like for example when Nora and Thorwald was exchanging their rings like their wedding rings they weren't actually using rings they did it really cool I don't know how to explain it so like check it out for yourself <laughs> but yeah even though they didn't have costumes or like any set really it was just an empty stage with the actors and their instruments but they weren't using their instruments as props so they didn't have a set they didn't have traditional costumes they had really good actors and really cool lighting and an amazing director who did a really good job just you know i think just perfect <laughs> um also okay what else do i want to say oh so when like in the beginning nora was played by a woman actor and then thorwald was played by a man and so you know oh my god my thoughts i have so many thoughts and then the next scene like the scene right after that uh, both nora and thorwald were played by male actors and or like nora and christine were played by male actors you know like it was really cool to see how male characters embodied female characters and how female care female actors embodied female no male characters oh my god <laughs> but yeah um they were real they, they did a really good job i you know with gender bending sometimes if it's not done right your mind is always like hey like i'm not sold on this i see that you're trying your best but you're not able to do a good job as a female character but 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 I found that uh, everyone in this play did a really good job and 
they were they really sold it to me i was i was watching basically these two men in white tees and blue jeans <laughs> playing two female characters and i was like yes yes they are female characters <laughs> um yeah so i thought that was really cool with like the gestures and the, the way spoke again like the female actors did a really good job portraying the male characters too even if you change the way you're standing it makes such a big difference and they know that you know that's what they're training to do <laughs> um anyways and so i'm hmm, i'm not sure if i mentioned this but like remember how there's a, a big rectangle in the middle so like the characters there were uh, minimum two and maximum four people in the middle at the same time and so when those people are were in the middle uh, like acting out the scene their little squares um, were dark <laughs> I don't know if that makes sense so like the people who were on the side sitting they were lit up but if the square was empty it was dark so I thought that was a really cool little detail there. And yeah, also, oh, something to mention, talking about the sides. There was, um, as I mentioned in the beginning, like uh, when I read the little info, it said like this is incorporates music movement, right? And so talked about the music, let me talk about the movement. So the... The actors on the sides, they had like little movements they did at the same time that went with the dialogue. So basically, for example, when they were when they were talking about a doctor, when there was like when the doctor did something, let's say the doctor held his head, the actors on the side also held their head at the same time. And this happened multiple times throughout the play with like different things they sometimes like breathe it out like breathe it in loudly which was really cool I always like breathing sounds like you know uh, on purpose breathing sounds not the ones that are you're just panting um <laughs> on stage and so yeah I thought that was really cool how the actors on the sides weren't just sitting there waiting for their scene to come they were also involved in the play with their movements yes and lastly I would like to say that the way everything was done was really creative I have truly never seen something like this before when I first read about it I wasn't sure because it's like you know how are they gonna act socially distant and with you know no props but they did it and they did it so well also the director um, Lara Sadiq the director did a, such a good job I thought that every movement was very purposeful every like the blocking was very well done I just think <laughs> everyone involved with this production did a really good job and I'm really happy to have witnessed that and I hope you can too I hope you will too please 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 it's free to watch just go to studio 58's website search the doll's house project and please watch it yes <laughs> anyways I have talked for way too long it is now time for ads and PSAs and then we will be back at Dunkin Donuts each and every radio show is brewed fresh and served fresh at the peak of its flavor. If you're a tough customer, only the taste of this radio show will do. So go ahead, let Dunkin' Donuts make your radio experience exquisite. Indeed. <laughs> Dunkin' Donuts, serving sweet treats from the pop underground. Thursdays, noon to one. most authoritative and electable is rooted in systems of oppression. There are so many inequities around having our experts in our community speak about our work. Obviously there are several facets to this strangely homogenous nature of the electoral system. And to be left out of conversations, it only exemplifies that loss of self-esteem. Check out CITR's live panel podcast, Conversations, 
hosted by our Indigenous, Accessibility, and Gender Empowerment Collectives. Subscribe to Conversations, available now on iTunes. And I am back, folks. Hello. Not for long, though. I'm going to leave you with Silvana for her review of Brother I Cry. But before that, I just want to mention I did interview one of the actors who was in the Doll's House project. So if you want to check that interview out, you can go back to our previous episode. And, you know, it's, it's in the beginning of the show. So you can just listen to the interview. It's with uh, Sierra Haynes. So anyways, and also I want to mention, I also interviewed the writer, director, and producer of Brother I Cry, Jesse Anthony. So that was before the previous episodes. So like, (laughs) basically, anyways, check out previous episodes. They're all podcasted in our website. I have interviews with both people from The Doll's House Project and Brother I Cry, both of which are in this week. Anyways, enjoy! Hello everyone, it's Silvana here for the Arts Report, and today I have a review of the film Brother I Cry. This movie, I just want to say first that it was really intense. (laughs) The... um, the title kind of gives it away but yeah it was a really really intense movie um but it was really good um the movie was directed by um indigenous filmmaker jesse anthony um and it's actually um jesse's debut uh being a recent graduate from capilano university and the film was also supported by telefilms talent to watch program Jesse was also selected by the Pacific Screenwriting Program. Um, so, very promising um, career for Jesse. You will learn a little more of like what the story is about, um, this movie. Um, it's very personal to Jesse because um, it centers on a family's struggle with addiction and is inspired by events in her own life. So, that just makes the film be even more powerful. The film itself was really really well made so congratulations jesse (laughs) as you can see the title says brother i cry so um it's it starts with like the word brother um because the protagonist's sister is actually very very important in the story um so first i'm just gonna like kind of tell you um what the movie was about So, the movie goes around John. John is this man who um, is struggling with addiction, struggling to overcome addiction, and just struggling in like lots of different aspects. He's also a first, uh, a First Nations um, young man, and he is um, going to be a dad. So um, he is trying to like get back on his feet. Um, in a way, he has a job, even though he is also he's also wanted by the police, but he managed to um, get a job, and that's, this kind of like the first scene where we see John. However, the very, very first scene in the movie um, shows a woman, and th- this one later we learn that is actually John's sister. So John's sister actually has this recurrent like dreams about her brother so it's mostly um it's a very cool thing that i really like about um the movies that like really incorporate um dream reading and kind of like this like premonition of like something that's about to happen i like really like it and i found and i find that like it is a topic and lots of like indigenous um content and i think it's really really cool uh, that jesse incorporated this in the movie because it really shows how much the sister cares about this like person who's really struggling and that she loves but is at the same time so conflicted about um all the different consequences of his addiction um how it impacts different different family members so for instance 
um, his girlfriend, who's also pregnant, for instance, um, her mother, their mother, who's also going through some grief herself, she, she has apparently not been um, really well since their grandmother died, so she's also been going through that a lot, um, and yeah, it's just like, it's just really hurtful to see, and the sister, she is also, she has these dreams, right? So they are really, like, kind of scary, but also just um, with a lot of suspense. So they are very suspenseful, they're very, like, surrealistic. Um, you kind of, like, have the sense that sometimes she goes in and out of time. And she can really feel for her brother, um, for his safety and for his health. Um, and she's the one that actually first picks up um, the, I guess, um, signs that he may be using um, again. So this is kind of how the movie begins. Um, and as I said, the sister is like this very strong character. She is, um, she's not afraid to like say what she thinks. She is not afraid of like calling out her other like family members and be like, we need to help John. I know, like, um, these, like, sort of decisions aren't, like, easy, but she really wants to be there for him in a way that's, in a way that really helps him, um, confront all his different past pains, insecurities, and traumas, and she's a very, um, pivotal and very important character in the story, so she's definitely a highlight. It was also really well acted, um, I'm not sure the name of the, um, of the actress, but it was really, really good. Um, and yes, she, well, she, it's not like she cries a lot in the, <laughs> in the, in the movie, but you know, it's like more of like a cry for like help and a cry for, um, really trying to do what's best for her brother and her family. But there are also other um, really strong women characters in the movie. So I mentioned John is soon to be a dad. So John's girlfriend, I think her name is Leah or Lelia, pardon me with the name, but she is also just trying to be a good mother. She's trying to be responsible. She's trying to like keep John in check, but John at the same time doesn't really help himself all the time. So it's really hard on their relationship she of course is pregnant so she can't really um go through too much stressful situations that are going to jeopardize the health of the baby she and john are also um overcoming uh, an addiction to i guess opioids there is a scene in which lelia and john's sister um go to i guess it's like a safe injection site however she doesn't get injected she gets um a dose of methadone to uh, combat combat her addiction at the same time we also see how john is like refuses to go to these uh these places and really get the treatment so she she, she kind of like only drinks half of it and leaves the rest in another in like a in a in like a separate container so that john can actually get it um, because otherwise he won't and she's really trying to like push uh, for him to as I said overcome his addiction she's also working on herself so that is also really powerful we don't really see the unbo unborn daughter until the very end and that's all I'm gonna spoil um but this is of course like a very important symbol of like the future and what it will mean for the family so this is the other only thing that i'm going to spoil is they decide to name her faith because it's kind of like she represents this like second chance that they can have as a family and really having faith in overcoming also all sort of or obstacles including addiction but also about their own relationships and how they get along with the different like members of the family and overcoming other financial hardships um etc so um it's really great it's really great in this sense that you have this really um important female pillars basically in john's life 
Um, however, the story is about John, and it goes along um, his decision-making and his struggles. Of course, they're very, very deep, and it's a very, very intense and, at the same time, sad <laughs> um, account of what many people live and what many people um, struggle with, with um, overcoming addiction and how it really affects everyone around them and and it's in a very very unfortunate reality for um, many first nations um, in Vancouver um, and in other parts of Canada so it really really it made me think a lot and it was really intense it was really really well made there was another there were another there were other moments um, where John gets high and these we also get this takes of him going through different like intense moments and not necessarily um pleasing um you can tell that he really is like battling his like inner demons in a way and he has a lot of fears he of course wants to be a good parent he wants to show up for his family um but it's really really hard it also doesn't help that um there's this other character that is kind of like a drug dealer and doesn't really help um, John <laughs> um, in his battle. So um, it's all this like kind of like pulling of all these forces. And ultimately it's in John's hands. So it was really, really intense. It was a really good movie. Uh, my deepest congratulations to Jesse Anthony. Um, I know she's going to make great films in the future. And this movie was also actually part of uh, VIF, World Premieres of Vancouver International Film Festival. And I'm really, really grateful that I got to see it. I really learned a lot and it, really, um, and it was a really, really touching yet really intense story. So if you can watch it anytime, if VIF is still up or, or if it's not, or maybe, maybe they'll have um, another show at Van City Theatre in the future. But I would recommend you keep an eye on Jesse Anthony and definitely in her debut, Brother I Cry. And I'm back, folks. Hello. I I just keep calling you folks today. Anyways, so thank you, Silvana, for that review. And I'm just gonna talk about some stuff that's happening real quick before we go. So first of all, VIDF. Vancouver International Dance Festival. I've been reviewing dances from VIDF and their last show of the festival is happening October 21st, uh, October 22nd and October 23rd. This show is Farouche and from Farouche the dance show it's called Here Again, a collection of three scores and please 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 check it out it is by donation so you can just register online at vidf's website the it's again it's the last performance of the festival so definitely check it out i will be watching it i will be reviewing it so hey let's talk about it watch it dm me on instagram citr support and you know or wait our support citr <laughs> <laughs> oh me not knowing the handle of my instagram anyways it's our support citr and secondly, talking about dance, Discover Dance Series is happening. So the Dance Center is presenting the Discover Dance Series. And within the series, they're presenting Sujit Vaidya. I really hope that was right pronunciation. So it is online only, very COVID friendly, amazing. So it's premiering this Thursday, which is tomorrow, October 15th at 12 p.m. so noon pst um so i'm just gonna read this <laughs> very quickly to make everything easier <laughs> the dance center's popular discover dance series features the exquisitely beautiful south indian dance style of oh boy Bharata natyam i hope that was right with an online presentation by sujit vaidya one of vancouver's leading exponents of the form he also creates work which reflects a modern sensibility and questions limitations set in the name of tradition. 
In this stimulating online program, Sujit will perform short solo works and discuss how he and other artists are increasingly challenging the traditional hierarchies, politics, and stereotypes surrounding Bharatanatyam. The Discovered Dance Series will be online. Um, there are going to be performances, in-person performances, but that's in that's in 2021. So like, nothing to worry about. Uh, but 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 but, check this out because it sounds really cool. Just search up the Dance Center Discovered Dance Series, and it should come up. And lastly, let me talk to you about. The Vancouver Short Film Festival. So shout out to the VSFF because it's their final call for submissions. Their deadline is October 16th. So just in two days, filmmakers from BC are invited to keep it short with VSFF and share their work alongside the talented community of emerging and established West Coast filmmakers. The festival itself will be running from January 22nd until the 21st. No, 24th. How would it run from 22nd to 21st? That does not add up. Anyways, <laughs> the festival itself is running from January 22nd until the 24th in 2021. But the submissions are due in just two days, October 16th, 2020. So the submissions are open via filmfreeway.com forward slash vsff and you can find the guidelines at vsff.com so submissions are $40 for professional submissions and $30 for student submissions so keep that in mind and yeah if you're an aspiring filmmaker from British Columbia just send in your send in your submission to vsff why not that's again submit it at filmfreeway.com forward slash vsff and wow i actually got through all of those shout outs before the show ended who would have thought wow anyways i really hope you enjoyed the show we had even though we had only two reviews and an interview they were really you know filled to the brim i would say with content uh, I just want to thank our new correspondents and our returning correspondents. I am happy to be doing this with them and I am happy to be hosting for you. I really hope to see you next week at the same time, the same place. Also, before I go, let me plug in the socials real quick because why not? I post some funny stuff on there. <laughs> So our Instagram is Arts Report CITR and our Twitter is CITR underscore Arts Report and our Facebook is Arts Report at CITR 101.9 FM. So check me out. Let's chat, please. But yeah, anyways, I again, <laughs> wow, I'm just repeating myself at this point. I'm so sorry. Again, I hope you enjoyed this show and I hope you'll enjoy the other ones. Also, if you're new to the show, check out our previous episodes. We podcast every episode. They are at CITR's website. Just search up Arts Report and you will find them. Thank you for listening. It has been nice talking to you and I'll talk to you next week. Bye-bye! Bye! -bye. Bye.